Welcome back to the Autism Annex podcast, the monthly show from Star Autism Support that brings you insights and real-world expertise from the worlds of autism and special education. As always, I'm your host, John Andrew Slominski. If you've ever wondered what it's like to be a parent or caregiver navigating the waters of securing supports and services for a child with autism for the very first time, this podcast episode is for you. Stephanie Archibald and her son Josh have made that very journey in three states, multiple schools, countless IEP meetings, and so much more. I'm grateful to Stephanie and Josh for so freely sharing their experience today. Just a side note, I've had the pleasure of talking with Josh in preparation for this episode, but he preferred to listen rather than speak when we recorded. I hope to have captured some of Josh's story, even in his absence. Okay, on with the show. Stephanie, thanks very much for being here. You introduce yourself with more nuance than I can. So could you open by telling us a bit about yourself and your family and how your journey with autism began? So I'm Stephanie Archibald and my husband's Jeremy. We have uh, three kids and Josh is our middle child. So um, I actually came from a pretty large family of eight children. So um, when Josh came around um, and I was the big sister in that group of eight, I was the second oldest. So I'd been around little kids quite a bit growing up, did a lot of babysitting. And I was a neighborhood babysitter, not just for my family, but for kind of everybody who knew our family. So I always wanted to be an elementary teacher. It was always a focus. So when Josh was born, I'd been around enough kids to kind of start to notice some developmental milestones being missed. And I think that the common practice is for people to say, Uh, he's a boy, you know, give it a little bit of time. We'll kind of see what happens. Or the other thing is, oh, he's just fine, you know. So in my heart and in my gut, like I knew that um, Josh would need some advocacy from a young age. Um, And Josh was born in Wisconsin at a teaching hospital. And there were a lot of great resources. They at the time were one of the top places in the nation for early intervention. We happened to live around a community of strong uh, supports. And so um, it was a brand new world for me. I didn't know what I didn't know. I had never navigated this journey like most parents. It's it's our first time. And um, it was before the internet was super popular. (laughs) So I think we had dial up. Yeah, very different times. And it sounds really challenging also to get access to good information. Who was your first contact when exploring Josh's needs? So we uh, had a friend that was a speech language pathologist and I'd expressed some concerns to her about Josh's development. And so she went through a checklist with me and it became pretty apparent to both of us that there was probably some more things going on than um, that he would need to have addressed. So we uh, took that information to our doctor and pretty quickly he got us set up with some early intervention and through that process, pretty quickly had a diagnosis at 18 months of PDD NOS or pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. With that, he actually tried to give um, an autism diagnosis to me at that time. 
And I had done some research and I saw some markers that Josh did not um, have completely in my opinion. And I think really what it was, was I just needed some time. It was all happening so quickly. I think I just needed some time and space to deal with a label. What was that initial time like for you as you began to understand Josh's reality and then also some of the implications for him and for your family? For me as a parent, um, I needed to kind of go through some of that process of what I thought Josh's life was going to look like. And um, I needed that space. So, you know, about a year later, we had since moved to um, Hawaii a couple of years later. So we were the benefits of hitting both of those locations at kind of just the right time and right circumstance. So we got a lot of support in the beginning, a lot of help. And I made sure that I attended every therapy session, whether it was speech therapy or physical therapy or occupational therapy or whatever it was, I was there because I wanted to continue those therapies at home. Even in Hawaii, um, Josh would go to school during the day. He had awesome teachers and staff. And then he would come home and through the military, we had an exceptional exceptional family members um, representative who would take him out a couple of days a week and work on social skills. So it was amazing. And then we made the jump to Oregon and ended up in a school uh, down in Medford and uh, the STAR Autism program was new in their schools. And so they were practicing some things that we had found some success with Josh. Their, Their scope of practice at Hoover Elementary in Medford was amazing. And he had an awesome teacher there, but we didn't start in that school situation in Medford, we actually kind of had to go through a few different settings before we landed in that classroom. So is this around the time that you started doing some heavy lifting with advocating for Josh in school settings? Yeah. And how would you describe your mindset going in? Right. I had the benefit of knowing that I'd seen um, schools operate with a mentality of we can uh, focus on every child and we can provide more than what we've been providing in the past. And, you know, we had a great model in Hawaii. We had a great model um, through early intervention. So if a school wasn't going to come up with something, I was probably going to strongly suggest something that worked, not knowing that that STAR program was available. And I had met with another mom who had an older child um, on the autism spectrum. And and through this uh, process, I I became pretty frustrated and really wanted to let everybody know how frustrated I was with them personally. And she she really cautioned me against that and let me know that you can do a a lot when you advocate, when you stick to the issues. I'm curious, how did that mom's insight into frustration and communication impact your approach to advocacy? Um, If you realize that people are working within systems that they know, or they're, uh, we don't know all of the things that go on the side of uh, administration and and that side of it, but she really suggests to stick into the issue. So that's what I did. Every time something didn't work, I would say, you know, he really needs a system that has like a picture schedule and he needs a staff that is trained in wait times. 
He needs staff that uses a reward system because he thrives in that um, for the little teeny things like sitting in your chair for two minutes reward. And so um, I didn't know this other star classroom existed and through being able to bring up specific things that he needed and the supports that I wasn't seeing, um, even though they were offering them in a least restrictive environment, um, we were able to eventually come to the point where they uh, were able to tell me that class was available and, and that fit him. And then he got, he did receive the support. So staff was well-trained. It was, it was amazing. On a very practical note and something that parents might wonder, how did you balance family advocacy and work? I mean, it sounds like you really had your hands full. Yeah. You know, it was an interesting time. I worked nights. And so um, I had my degree and um, I was lucky enough to have a job where I worked nights. And um, my husband was still in school in the days. And so it was exhausting for me, to tell you the truth. But at the same time, um, it was a learning process for me. Like I did everything that I could to arrange my schedule to learn all that I could. Um, In my mind at the time, um, I was under the uh, impression that if I could get Josh just the right therapies or if he could put in enough effort or we could as a family to help him, that we could um, give him a somewhat of a typical life. Of course, my thinking has grown very much since that time. But what that thought process did for me at the time was it allowed me to learn about Josh and learn about how his brain worked. And so then when I would be at home, for example, we were making the bed together, I could sing something instead of saying something because they were singing directions and he was understanding them just fine. And so I could see what was working and then I could come home and model that in our home environment. That took a ton of stress out of our home life um, just to see what worked, um, both for Josh and for, for the rest of us. At this point, Stephanie, what sorts of things did you begin to learn about Josh's experience as a child with autism? You know, I had never really considered how important our sensory system is to, to have it work um, in like to just have it work well um, together, all of our different senses. That was such an awakening for me that I could sit and think of, he's hearing all these things in the background that I, that just go to the wayside. I don't even pay him attention, but like he would hear the light post out front of our house of buzzing. And so he would go and he would put his ear up to the light post and hear it. And, you know, I think had I not recognized um, that that was a need for him, I probably would have discouraged and been like, why are you listening to the light post? Like, come on, let's go. I don't want my two-year-old standing there with his ear next to the light post. It looks funny, you know, Um, and especially not for 20 minutes. But as I came to know, like, what his sensory system was like, Um, I actually was like, I'm glad he's found something that is calming to his system. And, and that was okay. Um, And some of the other things were like, I understood the the importance of water in his life, um, how that helps him to be calm and how it's something he enjoys. Want him to have stuff that he likes and have a good quality of life. And um, so a lot of things I probably would have stressed over or not eating certain foods. I would have been like, you know, eat your vegetables or eat, eat whatever it is that I did with my other children. Um, I would have let that, I wouldn't have um, 
you know, been as adept at, at understanding that. It sounds like Josh has a lot of sensory sensitivity. Right. What did occupational therapy look like for helping him to manage his stress level around sensory experiences? The occupational therapist um, taught me about um, joint compressions and brushing and like the importance of bouncing on a ball. And so um, as they did those therapies and they gave me those brushes to go home, I noticed such a big difference um, in how he would feel um, his stress levels. Therefore, all of our stress levels would go down quite a bit. Yes, just brings it right on down. Um, with that knowledge. And so being able to just go and see how they did it and ask questions too. Like I asked a lot of questions um, just about um, what to expect, um, what just to help me understand like what he's experiencing. Um, I really got to know, I think, him better through those therapies. When Josh and I spoke the other day, did he say that he's now 25? I keep forgetting. I actually think he's 24. <laughs> I can't keep track of my own age, let alone somebody else's. <laughs> I think he's 24. Yes. So as you and many listeners know, there's this phenomenon that's often referred to as the services cliff in the autism community, which basically means aging out of programs and services during the transition from adolescence to adulthood. What has this transition over the services cliff, so to speak, um, looked like for your family? Well, that's a great question. Um, as we kind of came into North Clackamas and um, hit everything kind of just right with some amazing staff that, like I think of the staff over the years and like my, I, I like well up with tears thinking over the years, the many people that have been there for us and Josh and um, their hearts and their training and their life's work, um, how grateful I am for that. And so it's been pretty great um, as far as that goes. And a lot of staff members have helped me to see like what's coming next. And so when we hit the adult transition phase of it through North Clackamas, amazing staff members again, um, it kind of knew a lot of people in the district by that point. And Josh went into the adult transition program. How was that transition program for Josh? When he started that program, I wasn't sure that it would be a successful uh, place for him. He, I didn't necessarily know that he, where his place would be to fit into that um, adult classroom. And they really helped me to see that he would fit in here. And they, they really, over those few years that he was in there, guided me to adulthood. And um, what I could do to advocate better for Josh, they introduced me to vocational rehab. And they introduced me to, um, you know, an internship for Josh that he did in the school district. Well, that was wonderful until adult transition program ended. And that was always my biggest fear is like, what is next? I felt like we had done everything we could to set Josh up for success. But once that adult uh, transition program was over, I feel like is truly the cliff that you kind of go off at the end. It, and I miss those days of adult transition. I miss those days of high school. Given where Josh's skills are now, what adulthood supports do you think are most helpful for him? Josh has some great skills. He's a big dude. Like he could carry any piece of furniture that you want. He could mow a lawn. He, he mowed lawns the rest of his life. He would love it, but he needs a little supervision because 
you know, he's, he trusts everybody. So he needs some supervision and his communication um, still um, is, is delayed. He's, he's not very great with his receptive uh, communication. So he still needs some supports, but if we could somehow extend some of the programs that are currently working, like our adult transition programs beyond that, um, I feel like it would be phenomenal um, to put those into our community college systems um, even more so um, than they are now. And so having the amount of staff there to, to trade off or to change it up um, allows people to, to stay in longer. With your years of experience now alongside Josh, pushing 25 years, if you could envision a better system of supports for adults experiencing disabilities, Stephanie, what would that look like, do you think? Yeah. I wish things were more educational for uh, people with uh, adults experiencing disabilities. Like the school systems, in our experience, if we had you know, an extension of that, but on the adult side of things, it would make such a, such a huge difference. And um, there's some room for some advocacy there to step in for Josh. And, you know, they have a lot of janitorial positions and they have uh, yard maintenance people that help maintain the schools. Like those are great safe places for people with disabilities to work and to support and to be a part of their communities. And I was talking to Josh's job developer just recently uh, she has 60 clients that she's trying to find a positions for, and she's found a position for one in the past six months. And so just one person. And so getting businesses and school districts, I mean, just the idea of opening their doors and their minds to hiring uh, people with disabilities. I mean, they, they come with support. They're capable. They can grow. They can become part of the community. They have a lot to offer um, but finding people that are willing to open their doors um, to this community um, is, is tricky. You know, your vision that you just outlined sounds like it includes jobs and career training and coaching, as well as community roles. Is that right? Right. Mm -hmm. Could you talk more about your process for helping Josh to find community supports going forward? Well, you know, before COVID hit and before, while Josh was still in adult transition, um, you know, we really started scoping out the adult world and put a lot of effort and energy into finding a community for Josh to belong to. He's very social, wants to be with other people, um, trying to find a place for him to fit. And I felt like we'd found a couple of situations. And so through the process of that, though, we did find some good stuff for Josh. Um, but through, you know, COVID, those things um, shut down and have had a really hard time um, having the staff available. So um, it's going to take a while for those programs to build back up if, if they do rebound. Um, it's going to take some years for that to happen. So I'm, I'm a full-time teacher right now. And... Um, I've been fortunate enough this year to have a niece come up from Oregon State and another paid provider um, work with Josh this year so that I can teach. Um, some of those resources are gonna dry up next year for, for us. And so um, I need to be able to um, be here for Josh um, so that he can have, um, uh, you know, I think more um, in the future. And so my 
goal next year is to find, have the time in my own life. I don't have the time right now. I'm teaching full time and um, to, to dedicate to that. So I'm going to take a couple of days off um, per week next year and cut my hours back. Um, I'm actually going to take FMLA and um, I'm going to dedicate that time to helping to find Josh a future, a place to, a place to land, a group of people to connect to, um, something, a job. Um, I wouldn't mind um, one bet going to the businesses with Josh in tow and saying, here's my son, Josh. I want you to meet him. He's looking for a job. He's got a job developer. He's got everything set in place. You want to give him a try. Like I have no problem going around in our community and introducing Josh and Panina face to, to, um, to somebody. I think a lot of times job developers go in and say, Oh, I have a client that needs a job this, this way. It's like, here's your person. We'll support him. Thank you. <laughs> you know, so that's my job next year is to try to find something for him. That's a little bit more permanent. What an enormous commitment in every way. I look forward to hearing from you what happens in your work next year. Like any parent, I'm sure you're thinking well into the future about what your son's life will be like and what your family will look like in 10 or 15, maybe 20 years. Would you be willing to share what that conversation is like in your family? Well, that is something that we talk about probably daily around our house. Um, you know, my husband and I, um, and Josh talk about that. It, it's, um, it's, we're at a point in our lives. I'm 52. Uh, my husband's 51. We still have some working years, but we need some time. Um, while we're still in good health before we get, um, you know, too far down the road and, and this stuff takes time. Like we need a place for Josh, um, to have like, um, a community that he is attached to. And so he needs to have um, people and opportunities in his life and a place to belong. And so we're trying to find that out here and to figure out a way to make that happen because both of our careers are here. I grew up in Oregon. I, I love Oregon. Um, and we've also considered, you know, possibly going out of state, going somewhere else in the future. We, I have a big family. Um, my husband has a big family. We wish everybody could live on the same street because <laughs> Josh has a million cousins his age. Um, and, you know, that would be ideal, but that's not possible. So, but we would love to find um, some way for Josh to um, have a group where he just fits and belongs and has routines and joy in his days um, outside of us. Um, you know, we love him and we'll take care of him. And we're so grateful for Josh and um, he's such a joy for us. Um, but we would love for him to have a group um, through jobs or, you know, programs or a school or something where he just finds joy in his life for a long time. My guest on today's episode has been Stephanie Archibald. Stephanie, thank you for sharing your family's story. And please also pass my thanks along to Josh. Well, thank you for including us. Yeah, Josh is uh, all his cousins and aunts and uncles will want to hear. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Autism Annex podcast, developed by Star Autism Support. I'm John Andrew Slominski, and it is my privilege to serve as your host, engineer, and producer. 
If you like what you hear on the Autism Annex podcast, I'd like to ask you a small favor. Consider sharing the podcast this month with a friend who you think would enjoy it. Thanks, as always, for your support. And until next time, my friends, take good care of yourself and one another.